It looks like the weather report scared off some of us this morning. So I want to uh, praise you for venturing out this morning. And although we do not condemn those who were afraid to come out in this raging storm just outside the doors here. I'm reading from John as I continue through the book of John, chapter 6, verses 25 through 51. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus answered to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day." At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard the father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. After Jesus fed the 5,000, it said many in the crowd kept following him. And when Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum, many of them jumped in boats and followed him there. And then when they get there and see Jesus there, they asked him how he got there, especially during the storm during the night, and he ignores their question. And he goes straight to their motives for following him. You're not here to listen to me, he said. You are not here because you saw the signs and miracles I did and understood their message. 
You're here to fill your bellies again. You are here to use me, to exploit me for free meals and for your own political agenda. Jesus said, in essence, you're, you are interested in physical meals alone. My agenda is much bigger. I'm here to fill your souls, not just your stomachs. All you want is barley bread. I want to give you the bread come down from heaven. And at this point, th the crowd's thinking goes straight to Moses and the manna given in the wilderness to Israel. And they said, Moses gave bread from heaven, to which Jesus says, no, he didn't. My father gave bread from heaven. Moses didn't have much to do with it. But my father is giving you something better than manna now. He is giving you the true bread of heaven. And the true bread of heaven is right here, right now, in front of you. To which some in the crowd responded, give us the bread. And Jesus replied, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. I am the one sent from my Father. And if you take me into your hearts and souls, you will never be hungry or thirsty again. The crowd grumbles. You can't be the bread of heaven. We know you. We know your mama and your daddy. We know Joseph. You came from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? We didn't see you come down from heaven. And Jesus looks at them. And he says, truly, truly, when, whenever you see this, truly, very truly, I tell you, in the Greek there is an emphasis here that says, you really listen to this. I want you to get this and don't forget it. The one who believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but the bread I bring, if eaten, will cause you to live forever. You will not die if the bread is, this bread is taken internally. The problem with the crowd that day is that they didn't have a clue about their real needs or their real problems. So they didn't have a clue about God's answers to their real needs or their problems. Here is a simple fact. People need truth more than they need manna. People need grace more than they need barley bread. They wanted more stuff, more things to survive a little longer, a little more comfortably in this life. Jesus came to bring food that gave so much more. The people wanted their stomachs filled. Jesus wanted their souls filled. Again, Jesus is not anti-material. He made the material universe. He looked at the world and said it is good. He knows we have physical needs. He knows our bodies need nutrients. That is precisely why he fed the same bunch the day before. That is precisely why everywhere he went, people God healed. He healed broken bodies. And by the way, you know, Hank mentioned in his prayer the woman who touched the hem of his garment. In John, he says, all kinds of people touched the hem of his garment and were healed. But we are not just physical beings. Jesus said, what if a person gains the whole world, gains the whole physical realm and all the advantages it holds, but they lose their soul? Gaining the outside world doesn't matter much if your internal world collapses. We are at heart spiritual beings. We are at heart living souls. A human soul is the deepest part of ourselves. It is the part of us that interfaces with the Holy Spirit. Take note, I said interface, a technical term. It is the part of ourselves we take into eternity. When sin is at the center of our souls, we lose our consciousness of God. We numb up 
or we numb ourselves up with drugs and alcohol and sex and all other kinds of things. Sin is eating rat poison instead of living bread. The real problem with rat poison is that so many of us get addicted to it. Philosophy professor Kent Dunnington writes about a paramedic he knew who received an anonymous call that a heroin addict was near death in a nearby abandoned building. When the paramedic got there, the poor man was shivering in a corner, already unresponsive and near death. The apartment was foul-smelling and littered with trash and drug paraphernalia, and Kent asked his friend what it was like. And he said the, the, the paramedic's comment was stunning. stunning. He said it was terrifying. But for the first time in my life, I looked at that man dying of a heroin overdose and saw what real worship looks like. Addiction, Kent explained, is a kind of worship, a kind of counterfeit worship. For the soul was created to worship. The soul requires a center to give it identity, to have a purpose for its activities, to give it a hope and foundation. There is no such thing as an uncommitted person. Every person on this planet is committed to something or someone. An addict is a supreme example of trying to satisfy the soul with all the wrong things. The more it's fed the more it craves. You see, that's, that's the difference between living bread and junk food. You eat junk food and, and you, you, it never fills you up. You eat live, living bread and you never thirst and hunger again. You are eating something. What is it you're trying to fill your soul with this morning? You are committed to something. What is in your grocery bag this morning? And the worst part is that my you know, that, that my sinful mind can convince me that I like rat poison. I need it. It's good for me. It's amazing how we can live in denial and rationalize everything we're hooked on even while it destroys us. What Jesus was telling us is that we have a built-in hunger that never goes away by any earthly means. We have a soul that is malnourished and dying until it gets the right food. The soul has an infinite hunger, and it can only be filled by an infinite source. And until that source is found, we always want more. Have you ever noticed that? When when you don't really get filled up, nothing is enough. You try this, you try that. If I get this car, if I get this house, if I do this, if if I go to the, you know, we never have enough. We're always dissatisfied with what we have. We're always looking, but we don't know what we're looking for, and it kills us. A very successful man who worked on Wall Street said that when I was young, I had finished college and started life. I was married. I had children. I got a job as a financial analyst for an investment firm in Manhattan. I monitored the world. Currencies were my specialty. I would place bets on when the yen was going up and when the euro was going down. I had monitors that kept me in touch with every time zone, every hour of the day. My cell phone was on vibrate 24 hours a day because a window can open and close at any time. He said, my family lived in an apartment not far from Central Park. The kids went to private school. We bought a place in the suburbs that we could escape to on weekends. I would wake up at 5 a.m. and start 
a coffee IV, some of you know what that is, and live on adrenaline all day long. Some of you know what that is. He said, my wife did most of the day-to-day -day stuff with the kids. We had kind of an inside-outside arrangement where I was Mr. Outside. But he said, I was carrying a secret. And he said, the secret was this. I heard voices. One voice, actually, he said. It came at random. And he said, for years, I could never make out what it was saying. Whenever it spoke, something else was going on, or someone else was making noise, or I was, I was in my car going somewhere. It bothered me, but I could not figure it out. When I would be still and try to catch it, I heard nothing. It was like footsteps behind a character in a movie. As soon as the character stops to see if somebody's following them, the footsteps stop too. Then one day, he said, when I got home from work, I heard it clearly. I heard what the voice was trying to say. And the voice said this, I am your soul and I am dying. And then he said, I, I did not hear it again for many years. I'm sure that was the Holy, speaking, Holy Spirit speaking through a dying soul. Nothing is right if our souls are not right. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to give us the only food that can satisfy the hunger of a human soul. He came to bring living bread. He came to give us what we needed, not what we wanted. He came to feed our hunger with the only food that souls were made for. He came to give us himself, the only meal the soul can eat and not starve. Jesus was saying, if you think manna was good, try living bread. Feast on that. Here I am, eat. My spirit is here, drink. The table is set, dig in. Come and dine, Jesus says. Come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. You can eat at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitudes and turned the water into wine to the hungry now, he says, come and dine. All that is required, according to Jesus in this passage, is to, is to have faith in the Son of, of God and a hunger for what he brings. Your accomplishments don't matter with God. They really don't. What matters is listening to your soul. And if you listen to your soul, Jesus said, my Father will draw you to me. And when he draws you, believe and start eating. By the way, when he talks about feeding and eating, it's in the present tense. It's in a continuous tense. It's not the, Jesus does not serve up his feast just at conversion or just at the marriage feast of the Lamb in heaven. He's saying you can come to the buffet all the time. It's right here. And how do we consume living bread? The most important eating utensil is prayer. And the most important aspect of prayer is not some formula, not some liturgy, not some technique. The most important aspect of prayer is hunger. And hunger is based on what the psalmist says in Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifice of God, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. 
Brokenness, by the way, is simply the recognition of reality. It is our helplessness to save ourselves. We are helpless to save ourselves. We are really helpless to, to really change ourselves. We are helpless to defeat our sin. We are helpless in the face of real evil, real demonic evil. Oh, Halsby, in his classic work on prayer, wrote this. Prayer in the first place is helplessness. This is unquestionably the first and the surest indication of a praying heart. As far as I can see, prayer has been ordained only for the helpless. It is the last resort of the helpless. Indeed, the very last way out. We try everything before we finally resort to prayer. Isn't that true? Listen, my friend, your helplessness is the stuff of the best prayers. It calls from your heart to the, to the heart of God with greater effect than all your uttered pleas. He hears it from the very moment you are seized with helplessness, and he becomes actively engaged at once in hearing and answering your prayer. I need to give you a word of caution here, by the way. Jesus' invitation when he says, come and dine, is to dine on living bread, not Doritos. If your main motive, I'm sorry for you Dorito lovers, but it's true. If your main motive, your main hunger in your relationship with God is because you want more Doritos, a nicer house, a faster car, a promotion, admiration of your peers, a boat, success as the world defines it, and so on, you will not eat much living bread because you really have not developed an appetite for it. There's only one supreme reason for a deeper prayer life. And it's not to get everything on our list answered or our wants met. That may be where we start. Jesus tells us we can bring anything and everything to him. That's a good place to start. But that is not the goal of prayer. The goal of prayer is to love God more fully, to receive his love more deeply, to have our souls expanded so we may worship with all of our inner being. Too often those who begin the road of a more intimate walk with God do so with hidden agendas and give up when that agenda is not met, just like the crowd did 2,000 years ago when Jesus said, I'm not going to overthrow the Romans for you. I'm not going to, you know, this is not a permanent bread line here. It says they deserted him. They had another agenda than following God. So often the hunger we need comes only when the idols we've been feeding on get smashed or lost or die. The truth is we don't know how hungry we are for Jesus until we can't snack or the world's junk food on the world's junk food anymore. Most of the time it's not until Jesus is all we've got that we know Jesus is all we need and feed on him. Usually it is pain. I wish it was different. But it's pain and failure and loss that makes us hungry. Amen. It's when our crutches are taken away from us and our junk food is gone that we finally cry out for something that feeds our souls, not just our egos or our urges. Most people don't want living bread. They want more Doritos. My prayer for myself almost every day is, Lord, make me hungry for you. 
Lord, make the church hungry for you. Start a prayer movement of desperately hungry people. Don't let us settle for less. Mike uh, uh, Brown, he's a Presbyterian pastor. I like him. He's a, he's a writer and pastor, and he's a little bit cracked. And I, I don't know why I'm drawn to people like that. <laughs> Mary Lou has a theory, but I'm not going to share it. <laughs> Concerns the senior pastor. I could, I'm not going to say anymore. <laughs> I just get in trouble. Anyway, he says... Steve, it's not Steve Brown. He said, a number of years ago, I came to the awareness, and he's a pastor at this point in time, that God wasn't real to me. Perhaps that would not be a big deal to you, but for me it was very important. You see, I was a pastor, and my job was God. I was a leader of a congregation, and those people looked to me for information about God that was something other than hearsay. He said, I knew a lot about God. But I didn't know God in anything other than in the most superficial way. I had come to believe that the Bible was true, that Jesus Christ was truly the Son of God, that the resurrection really happened, and that Christ would come back and clean up the mess. That in itself is no mean thing. Once one has discovered these truths, there are certain implications about those truths that one ignores at one's peril. I did my best to live out those implications. I wrote books on those implications. I lectured and preached on those implications. I knew there was a right way and a wrong way to live, and I tried to live the right way. And if God had revealed himself in Christ, then there were certain implications to be gathered from that truth. There was meaning and hope and forgiveness. God was not a monster, and I could trust him in this truth and act on his word. And the discovery of that truth was a major gift of grace in my life, and I will be eternally grateful for it. However, I was only a tourist describing another country, a country I had never visited. I was convinced that that country was there. I had read the travel brochures. I had worked hard at learning the language of that country. I had even met people who lived there and had listened to everything they said about that country. The problem was is that I had become an expert on a country that I had never actually visited myself. Does this resonate with anybody? This is the confessions of a Presbyterian preacher. And he said, I got desperate. I got hungry. And he said, I got on my knees and I prayed. And he said, I knew the words and the formulas and the liturgies. I'd, I had learned from books and from my tradition and from my experience. But he said, but this time I put aside all the words and the formulas. He said, Father, he prayed, my sin is more real to me than you are. I believe that you have asked me to teach your pe people, to lead them, to be their pastor. You have been gracious to me, and I have no complaint. If you are never more real to me than what I have discovered in your book and in the words of others, I will be grateful for that much. I'm not going to leave you because there is no truth more important than your truth. But Father, he prayed, I want to know you. I want to speak from the depth 
of my experience of you, not my knowledge about you from a book. I want our relationship to be more than a formal relationship at a distance. I desire intimacy with you more than anything else. Does that sound like hunger? I desire intimacy with you more than anything else. I ask that whatever it takes, you would reveal yourself to me and that you would allow me to be as close to you and to trust you more than I trust a doctrine or a religious formula. He said, so I prayed. Not the cold, formal prayer of the liturgy, but the prayer of a child in pain reaching out to a father. That sounds like hunger and helplessness, doesn't it? It was the cry of my soul for intimacy with the God of my life. I didn't bargain. I didn't pretend. He said, I did that enough with people. I thought I'd stop it with God. I didn't come with preconceived ideas about what God would do, and I made no demands. I simply came and asked to know him. That is the heart of prayer. I just want to know you. And guess what, he says. He came. God didn't come because I demanded it, but he came. On the other side of silence, I encountered the God who is really there. It took me a long time to still the other voices in my mind, a long time to turn down the fires that had burned out my soul, a long time to learn to be quiet, but I learned it, and he came. Sometimes, not all the time, but many times, I stand before a congregation now, a seminary class or, or a conference, and say, this morning I was with the Father, and I mean that in the most literal way. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes I can speak more boldly to others about God because I have spoken to God about others and have heard God's concern and know his love for them. He said, for those of you who are afraid to pray because you're afraid he might not be there, I have some very good news. I've checked, and he's really there. And for those of you who don't, won't pray because you're, you're afraid he might be there, I have some rather disturbing news. You have every reason to be disturbed and overjoyed. He is there. He is really there. The table is spread. The table is spread. Are you eating living bread, feasting on the presence of God? Have you drugged your real self to the table, just like Steve Brown did? Or are you malnourished? If you can't pray for anything else, pray for a spirit-induced hunger for more of God. Pray that you won't settle for less. Pray that you become a spirit-filled, Jesus-loving, compassionate person who has cultivated a taste for the bread come down from heaven. Feed your soul. Let me ask you, what is more important that you do? According to Jesus, there's not many things more important than that. I found a poem that shows, you know, it really reflects that importance. It goes like this. I have been waiting. I am shy, terribly shy. Even in the most boisterous person, I am shy. I can only whisper, never shout. You may never even notice me, but I am here waiting I do not lie on the surface. If you look and listen patiently, you will know. 
I speak through your confusion, through your wanting, through your hurt. When you watch a sunset or hear a child laugh or listen to a piece of music that causes you to suddenly become choked up, it is I that causes your eye to fill. When you are addicted, it is I who am chained. When the sun burns up and the universe melts away, I will still be there. I will not be ignored forever. I can be wounded, lost, repulsed, or redeemed. Your circumstances actually matter far less to your happiness than you think. It is my health that makes your life heaven or hell. I am your soul, and I am here. Are you listening to your soul? Are you listening to the Christ who speaks through your soul? You need to, because sooner or later, for every person here, before this journey is over, every one of our worlds will fall apart. And what will matter is the soul that you and Jesus have constructed together. If your soul is healthy, if it is well-fed, no external circumstance can ruin your life. Did you hear that? If your soul is healthy and well-fed, nothing that life throws at you can ruin your life. And if your soul is malnourished, no external circumstances can make your life feel right or be right, no matter what else you do. Because if you don't take care of the eternal part of you, you'll have no peace and no hope, no matter what else happens. I love the scripture of Isaiah that he wrote thousands of years ago. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on that which is not bread and your labor on that which will not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Does that sound like somebody? Does that sound like the same invitation you heard in today's text? Israel failed to see what was right in front of them. May we not fail to see what is in us and all around us. Because we have a whole lot less excuse than they did. The life of Jesus is freely offered to us again and again. Let us eat because the table is spread. Let us fill ourselves with the soul food of heaven. Thornton Wilder wrote, We can only be said to be alive in those moments. Our hearts are conscious of our treasures. Our treasure has come. The meal is prepared. May we in gratitude come to the feast prepared for us. The question for all of us is not, is there enough food? The question for all of us is, are we hungry? And I'll switch from Doritos to Lay's potato chips for some of you. That's because I'm a merciful pastor. Lay's potato chips won't do it. Stuff won't do it. Achievement won't do it. There is only one thing that a soul feeds on. There is only one thing that stops a soul from starving. That is God himself.
That is the Spirit filling us. That is coming in communion with the Lord Jesus Christ, walking with Him, talking with Him. That is why Jesus came. Not just to save us and get us to heaven. He came to feed starving people who didn't know they were starving. What I want to do today is I would like anyone who is hungry for more in their life, who is hungry to see God move in unprecedented ways in this church, who is hungry to know what real revival is, I want to tell you something. If you're a spiritual person and you read the history of revivals, you hunger for them. You want to see God move like that. Because real revival has nothing to do with a sermon or a meeting. It is when God simply takes over and incredible things happen that go beyond explanation. Real revival is when God is what we're feasting on and we really want nothing more. If, you're, if you'd like to pray for that, I'd like the worship team to come forward. And I'd like uh, you to stand. And instead of doing our normal kind of prayer today where we have intercessors and stuff, I want us to pray for the hunger that turns into prayer, that turns into movements of God. Okay? And if you'd like to pray for that, you just come to the front. If you need to pray for yourself or for other things, feel free to do what you need to do where you're at. There is no judgment on this. But the Lord is starting to move. And he's telling all of us, come and eat. Come and eat. The feast is here for anyone that's hungry. Come and eat. Lydia, if you'll lead us, we're going to just come together and pray for this thing.